Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning. Happy New Year's Eve 2024. If you're like me, that sounds a little weird. I'm like, you know, I'm stuck in like 2010 to 2019. Well, don't mention 2020. Everything has just sped up is my point in saying all of that. And I'm excited to be able to bring God's word. My name's Ethan. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I want to meet you. So come say hi, come meet me. I'm on staff here at the church. I've been on staff for the last two years, um, but this has been my church home for six years. So um, it's such a privilege to be able to preach God's word to the people who I know the best. Um, My wife is Tatum and my two children, Mila and Malachi, are over there in the corner. Um, You might hear them, but that's okay. The children are great and I'm glad that they're here with us. So we're gonna be closing our series in the Gospel of Luke uh, entitled, He Came, the story of the incarnation. We've been looking in Luke chapter one through the prophecy of Zechariah as he has opened his mouth in light of his son, John the Baptist, being born. And he's been proclaiming all of these wonderful things about who the Christ is, who the Messiah is, and what he will do. And today, we have uh, seen these different aspects of he came, right? We saw he came so we go, he came so we love, he came so we live, he came last week, Pastor Lane preached, he came so we worship God. And today, I want us to see that he came to become a man. So we're going to be looking in gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter one. We're going to read one verse, verse 80. It's a long chapter. You don't see 80 verses very often. But we're going to hear the word of the Lord, Luke one, verse 80, and then we'll continue on. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word referring to John the Baptist. Let it be believed and received as such this morning. So how many of you guys have been to some type of professional basketball game or any type of professional game? Maybe college, high school. Like I think that covers most everyone in the room. But if your experience was like mine, I get to these games um, and basketball in particular, I go in, try to find my seat. There's like three million sections. So trying to do that's a pain just to start with. I get to my seat. There's usually 30 or 45 minutes left till the game uh, starts going. You know, the two most important things to find are the concession stands and the restrooms because eating and going to the bathroom is the most important things at these events. So um, we make sure and, you know, get that all settled. And then, you know, people are starting to come into the game. They're starting to find their seats. They're starting to sit down. You get to about 10 minutes and most everyone's found their seats by then. There's an anticipation that starts to grow. And then you get down to five minutes and you get down to one minute and everyone's hype at this point. I mean, they're ready to go. They're like, their anticipation is at the highest peak of the sense of the word. And then you get down to a 10 second countdown and usually there's a scoreboard and it starts counting down and everyone, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, it goes dark. The moment there is like anticipation of the game that's about to be ahead of us. 
I think that moment of like super anticipation is where we find ourselves in this verse. Luke has just recorded one of the most anticipated prophecies that had to come before the Messiah, Messiah of Israel was to be revealed. The birth of John the Baptist had to take place before the Messiah would come. And the birth of John the Baptist reminded all the people that God was faithful to his covenant that he had made with Abraham, that he established with Isaac, that he reminded Jacob that God was going to bless all the offspring of Abraham. And through Abraham, all of the nations and every family of the earth would be blessed. And years later, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said this, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Isaiah is talking about the role of John the Baptist, how he would herald, prepare, prepare your hearts because Christ is coming. That was 700 years that that prophecy was made before John the Baptist actually came, but 700 years has no bounds on God's faithfulness. This verse in Luke 180 is a parallel verse. It, it parallels what the gospel writer of Luke is saying in 240 when it's talking about Jesus. Here's what it says about Jesus. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Sounds similar to what we just read in Luke 180, doesn't it? At the very least, these two passages, what the gospel writer is trying to communicate with us is the necessity of John the Baptist, the prophet, being introduced before God would speak. And then God would speak in the greatest way that he's ever spoken to humanity through his son, through his son, Jesus. If we could sum up the whole point of the life of John the Baptist, we could say that it was to point to the one after him who would be greater than him. That was the whole point. So as we transition to Jesus, I want us to grasp this main point together. The son of God became the son of man to fulfill God's plan for redemption. The son of God became the son of man to fulfill God's plan for redemption. To grasp the gravity of that is a complex and hard thing to do, that God became fully man. Jesus became the first man of a type. And so I pray by the Holy Spirit as we dive into this. He shows us the value of the Son of Man. He shows us the value of what he's done in the incarnation and that our hearts would be moved by it. So to do that, I, I want us to see three aspects this morning from Jesus's humanity that lead us to one response. So if you take notes, um, this is a good time to start. Three aspects of Jesus's humanity that lead us to one response. And the first one is the perfect life of Jesus. This is coming from John 1.14. Now, this is untraditional in a sense of how I'm used to preaching, um, even though it's been few times. It's, un it's unconventional because usually we pick a passage as we're going through a series in a book and we read it, we grasp the meaning, the context, and then we show its application. That's called an expository sermon. But today, we're going to be looking distinctly at the human nature of Jesus Christ, his manness, so to speak. And so to do that, I wanna take from three different passages as we're looking at these points to grasp from the whole counsel of God's word all that it means that Jesus came to be a man, 
Okay, so to do that, I'm gonna read these passages. You can write them down. You don't have to flip to them so it doesn't take your time and it's kind of hard to flip back and forth, although we have the phone scrolling. But I'll read it and you can write it down and um, we'll go from there. So the first one is from John 1.14. This is the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Prior to Jesus taking on human nature, he existed eternally in one essence with the Father and the Spirit, right? Jesus was one in essence with the triune God. The incarnation of Jesus is an act of addition, not of subtraction. So when he became a man, he added something. He didn't take away anything. Jesus did not set aside his deity. Rather, he added human nature. So put it this way. The Son of God became 100% God to 100% God and 100% man. He added full humanity. And as we look at this verse in John, we see that the word became flesh. Now, I think Pastor Lane mentioned this word, the Greek word logos, last week. And I kind of want to capitalize on what he was saying, the logos. When John says the logos became flesh, he's teaching with careful accuracy that the expression of God or who God is in his very essence is seen in human form. That's what that means. It's said like this in the book of Hebrews. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. That's sufficient, more than The incarnation is the first time that God appeared to us as a man living on earth full of corruption and brokenness and total depravity. There was nothing good. We were haters of God at our core. Yet God in his infinite mercy and his infinite grace chose to take on humanity to save those who were his from death and bring them into everlasting life. God took on humanity to save the trajectory of where humanity was heading. And think about that moment when Jesus left the throne of heaven and stepped down into the womb of Mary. The smallest form of a human, the smallest right at conception in Mary. Think about the king of glory stripping himself of his majesty showing himself in humility, in love, in grace, in showing the depths of who he is and becoming 100% human. Why is this important for you and I? I wanna argue today that Jesus really understands you more than you think. How many of us, when we experience hardships or feelings or anxiety or worry or sickness or whatever the case may be, think, man, I wish somebody could understand me. I wish they could understand what I'm going through. You woke up this morning, you probably were a little tired. If you were like me, you might've got some coffee. See, I don't need coffee when I preach. I got all the energy I need. 
Might be nerves, I don't know. But listen, you don't need coffee when you preach. But you guys needed coffee this morning, okay? So you had your coffee, uh, you chased the kids around, you might've got them dressed and you uh, were excited and, and sometimes things were chaotic. Um, and all of these moments. And Satan wants nothing more than to tempt us and isolate us in these actions and these things we do from God. Like, man, God's not in my day-to-day life. That's just not the case. Jesus, in his humanity, experienced those same types of things. Listen to these facts about Jesus' humanity. He had a human body. He was born of a woman. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He grew in understanding. He grew physically tired. He was hungry. If there were Big Macs in Jesus' day, he might have wanted one. Okay? He had real human emotions. He felt sad. He was happy. He rejoiced. He was weak as he stood against the devil and the temptations that he brought against him. The human nature of Christ, though it was subjected to sin, had no sin. Had no sin. Praise be to God for this. Amen. Because by his perfect life, we're set free from the condemnation, from the chains of sin that we had prior to him. We are set free to live holy and blameless lives like Christ. Jesus was born as a representative of obedience for all who would come after and trust in him. Adam was our first representative. Adam, the first man, represented all of us in this room, all of us in this country, all of us in this world. Seven point however many billion people were represented in the life of Adam. Adam failed to uphold the duty that God gave him to obey God, to do what God commanded and to uh, oversee God's creation. Adam's one sin, his one sin brought about all of our sin. Everything we do on a daily basis wrong was first seen in Adam's sin. And we are guilty for that. We can't put the blame on Adam because we all willingly sin as well. I do want to say that. But God did not allow this to be the final decision for humanity. God was not done. There'd be another representative who would come. There would be another representative, Jesus Christ. And if Adam's sin led to all becoming sinners, how much more, my brothers and sisters, will the act of Jesus Christ in his faithfulness and obedience to God, giving up himself, bring eternal life and forgiveness and righteousness to all who look to him. So much more is the answer. How much more? So much more. The life of Christ speaks volumes and volumes and volumes over the sin and death that reigned in Adam. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. That's, that's a little daunting. I mean, you think about the perfect life of Jesus. And if we're being honest with ourselves, our thoughts and our intentions of our hearts, they're not close to perfect. Not even this morning. They're not close to perfect. You realize your life isn't perfect. You're stuck in habitual sin. You're running from the Lord in that one area of, the, of your life that you just keep getting conviction over. You keep yelling and arguing with your husband, your wife, you have bitterness towards that one family member, you're angry at your children. Man, if I could say one thing to you, it's don't let Jesus' perfection scare you, but let it encourage you. 
God became a man and lived a perfect life because he knew you wouldn't. He knew you couldn't. That's why he became a man. And his response to your desperate state of hopelessness is this truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his life full of grace and truth and he dispenses that to your life this morning. Trust in Jesus, run to Jesus, rest in Jesus, forever hope in Jesus because he's enough. Christ is enough. The perfect life he lived wasn't to show off. It was for you. It was for you. God did not have to, but he chose to. He loves you and he wants to meet every single one of your needs. The second aspect of Jesus' humanity is the atoning death of Jesus. The first one was the perfect life and we're moving now to the atoning death of Jesus. And we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. As Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, this is the word of the Lord. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In, in the 1940s, Uh, There was one of the biggest wars that has ever broken out across the world. World War II affected Europe, it affected the entire world, and um, the regime of the Nazis and Hitler was running rampant, and the evil ideologies that were held were crushing fundamental, basic human rights on a lot of levels. It was a terrible time. During this time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a well-known theologian and a pastor during this time, Here's, here's a little bit about him. From a young age, he was very talented as a musician. Chad, you'll relate with him. Eventually, he became a theologian, and he finished his dissertation by the age of 21. That's amazing. The age of 21, he had his dissertation and doctorate finished. And right after that, he began pastoring a small German congregation right after his education. As Bonhoeffer grew in his love and devotion to the Lord in the scripture, he was not pulled away from the political issues that were taking place in his days, the evil ideologies. Rather, he became more adamantly passionate about standing up to the evil in his day to renounce the wickedness and stand up against the godlessness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born under the providential hand of the living God, exactly at the right time, exactly in the right place, exactly for the right purpose to stand up against the Nazi regime uh, and to proclaim Christ from a true and a pure understanding of God's word. And then he died at the age of 39. As he was standing up against Hitler, he was killed. They had him killed. The purpose of his life was to be faithful to Christ, his church, and then to die by the hands of evil men. Just like we can sum up his whole life, Bonhoeffer's whole life, we can say he was born for the sake to die. That's why he was born. Living only 39 years was not a hindrance in his life to complete what God had planned for his life. Rather, it amplified the purpose in which God had set apart from him to die for Christ. We can say something similar about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ became a man to die. Jesus Christ became a man to die. As we begin looking at this second aspect of the humanity of Christ, we have to affirm and agree this bold assertion 
that Jesus came for the sole purpose of giving up his life. Jesus was not absent from a life of suffering. There was not one ounce, nor millisecond, nor inkling of suffering that Jesus deserved. He was completely sinless. Didn't deserve any. Yet we see that he suffered greatly. He was rejected by his people Israel. He was slandered. He was despised, not esteemed, nor worshipped in the way that he was worthy to be. In his crucifixion, he was beaten. He was whipped. He was spit on. He was hit. His hands and his feet were nailed to a cross. His side was pierced. Can't even imagine. Jesus surely understood physical suffering, my friends. But more than that, listen to this. Jesus experienced a far greater burden than any of us can even begin to comprehend. Jesus experienced a moment on the cross of abandonment from the Father. That's what Paul's alluding to here in the church, to the church at Corinth in in, in verse 21 of chapter five. He said, for our sake he made him to be sin." Meaning that when the Father looked upon Jesus Christ on the cross, he regarded Jesus as sin itself. That's what we see in Christ when he asked the question, my God, my God, why? There was no reason why, but why have you forsaken me? He didn't deserve it. Jesus knew this answer. We need to know this answer of the question that Jesus asked on the cross. For our sake, for the church's sake, for the bride of Christ's sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we could be the benefiters as righteousness, as the righteousness of God. That's the power of the atonement. That is the power of what God did in offering himself as a substitution for us. We become justified through Christ. The weight of your sin has been carried. I love what Peter says in Acts as he's, he's, God is showing him these, these things from heaven and he's saying, Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. It's the same for us. We can't call ourselves unclean if we're in Christ because we're clean, completely The blood has washed us and we're secure. He bore the separation from God that you deserve and that I deserve. And there's never a moment if we're in Christ, never a circumstance, never a hardship, never a death of a loved one, never a a divorce of family members, never a sickness, that Christ is not with us in his presence if we look to him, if we're in him, even when we have no strength to look to him because Christ was cut off from the presence of God for our sake. The atoning death of Christ was victorious. Christ is a king who is victorious. What we see on the cross is a victory cry from the Lord of hosts that the works of the devil have been destroyed. The head of the serpent has been crushed. The son of man was lifted up on the cross. The serpent's head was crushed. The death of Christ is not the death of God, but rather the finality of death for sin and for death itself. That's what the cross signifies. So I wanna ask you a question about Jesus' death. What does Jesus, his death mean to you? 
What does it mean to you? If we're honest, we, we know that a lot of people have heard about some form of or type of Christianity. A lot of people across the world have. There's some who have heard false gospels, yes, but Jesus is a name that is well known in the world. But the reality is a lot of people, even maybe some of you today, this morning, don't grasp the necessity of the death of Christ. It's the most valuable aspect of what Jesus came to do. Understanding the value and the meaning of the death of Jesus is the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. Receiving salvation, receiving new life, receiving relationship with God comes from you coming before God, bowing your head, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm unworthy. And at that point, as the Holy Spirit is producing a faith in you to look to Christ, he's giving you new life, he's giving you a new identity, you're forgiven And your whole being is changed and transformed. The death of Jesus, what Christ did in his atoning death is what makes that possible. It's our source of justification and ongoing relationship with the living God. The atoning death is everything. Because of that, you can know God in your bones. If you're a Christian today, here's also an encouragement, flee from sin, my friends. He died for your ungodly passions and lust so that they can be put to death. You no longer have to be enslaved to that bottle of alcohol. You no longer have to be entrenched in those lustful thoughts that are so consuming. You no longer have to be continually giving in to your self-satisfying desires. All the ways that we used to live before Jesus Christ, if you are in him, are dead, and your ultimate desire is to please Jesus. We want to please him. In in everything we want to please him, we fail. Yes, we do. But our desire is for all of our life to be immersed in the death of Jesus so that we might live for him. Sin is not our master any longer, friends. Our sins have been atoned for, and our life now belongs to the one who atoned for those sins. The third aspect of Jesus' humanity is the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. The triumphant resurrection of Jesus. I'll be reading from Luke 24, verses 1 through 7, as we begin to look at this third aspect. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their head faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. It was a Sunday morning, the first day of the week. The woman who knew Jesus and who were mourning for Jesus decided to come and bring him gifts um, in, in honor of who he was. When they arrived at the grave, the most shocking reality began to sink in. He's not there. The stones rolled away. There was not a body found. The grave was empty. The son of man, Jesus, that they had seen and lived with and known for years upon years, and they had seen him die. They had seen him put in the grave. 
He's not there anymore. There have been many prophets over the time and course of history. Many such as Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith, many more claiming they have the truth. They have no such thing. They spoke their messages, they deceived many, they died and their bodies remain in the ground. Their messages in some form remain today, but their messages are just as dead as them to bring life and transformation as their bodies that are in the ground. The question that the angels asked the women at the grave should be the source of our faith and hope in Christ. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Like we saw in the second aspect of Jesus, that he came to die. This was partnered with the ultimate guaranteed reality that he would raise from the dead triumphantly. He would raise again triumphantly. Jesus gave up his life willingly, knowing that he would take it up again. This resurrection, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, is the first type of a resurrection. It's a new type of resurrection. It's a resurrection that you and I, as Christians, get to experience in the same manner that Jesus did. We get to experience that resurrection. We, one day, brothers and sisters, will be co-heirs with Christ in glory because Jesus is risen and we will be raised with him. Think about a beloved family member or someone you know who is a Christian who passed away. Think about the New Testament writers, James, John, Peter, all of them. When Christ returns, there will be a final resurrection. We will have new bodies and we will live with every single child of God with Jesus Christ as co-heirs for eternity. That's a glorious truth. That's a glorious day, my friends. My question to you this morning is, are you living ready? Believing that the resurrection actually happened. If Christ has been raised, which he has, amen? Amen, then we must live consumed with that reality. Everything we do today, everything we do tomorrow, everything we do for the rest of our lives must be aligned with God's word, with his heart, with his mission. Because if Jesus has been raised, we are confident as Romans 10, 17 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from God's wrath, saved from condemnation, saved from sin, and saved to eternal life in this resurrection sharing with Christ. God's Resurrection in Jesus Christ shows us how serious he is about loving his people and saving them from sin and from hell. So looking at these three aspects, guys, I want us to be gripped as we're going into 2024, as we're going into this new year with this reality to behold the glory and majesty of God through the humanity of Jesus and worship him. To behold the glory and majesty of God through the humanity of Jesus and worship him. We all behold things in our life. We behold our favorite music, our favorite TV shows, our favorite sports teams, Chiefs fans, right? Amen. We behold our hobbies. We behold even ourselves sometimes. Beholding is is a type of worship. It's a type of um, satisfaction we got to make sure Christ is the greatest one. My plea for you and I this morning is that we would behold Christ 
the one who has fire in his eyes and salvation in his hands above all and everything else. Behold the one who was and who is and who will forevermore be. Jesus became a man so that you could live. I wanna ask a question to some of you out there who aren't Christians. Are you alive today? Are you alive today? Jesus was born so that you could be born again. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to pass from death to life. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we can come to life through Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. If you don't know how, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. We want to help you know this Jesus that loves you and who died and rose again on your behalf. You're captivated now by the spirit of God that's speaking to your heart. This is reality, my friends. Come, come and receive Jesus. We have all seen the glory of God, the exact nature, the exact imprint, the exact person, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We've seen it. And because of this, we're to worship. As we think of the application for this sermon, as we go from here, I want us to be consumed with the thought and the reality that we as individuals and we as a church need to submit ourselves to Christ as a living sacrifice in worship. Do you know what God wants? He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your time. He doesn't want the things that you have. He wants your heart. God wants your heart. All of those other things come from your heart. Does God have your heart today? He wants you to be devoted to worshiping him through the everyday things of life and surrendering to his lordship. That's what God wants from you. And our duty as the church is to behold Jesus. It's our privilege to worship him. Will you do that with me today? Will you do that with me in 2024 to see more of Christ, to be sanctified through and through and to behold him forevermore? The son of God became the son of man to fulfill God's plan for redemption.